Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we've come to the end of our Lenten journey. With the church we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, the beginning of this terrible and wonderful week when the salvation of the world was affected. Every year on Palm Sunday we read one of the great passion narratives from the Gospels. This year we read from St. Mark's. St. Mark's, you know, is the first Gospel written. Therefore, this account of Jesus' passion and death is the first one and therefore of enormous influence and power shaping not only the other Gospels, but shaping through them the whole of Western culture. In fact, is there a story better known to us than this one? The story of the arrest, the trial, the persecution, the passion, the death of Jesus. You know, I suggest too that in some ways the very familiarity of this story is a problem. We begin to listen to it and we say, oh sure, that's the story of Jesus' passion and death. I know that one by heart. And so it runs through our minds and we don't attend to it. Hemingway has a little story he tells about being on a ship in the Caribbean and he saw a young man, one of the sailors, and he was reading a book with rapt attention. Hemingway said, what are you reading? He said, it's the Gospel of Matthew. Hemingway said, well, why are you reading it so carefully? And the kid said, I want to know how it ends. (laughs) The reason that story is strange is that it's so anomalous. Doesn't everyone know how this story unfolds and how it ends? What I want to do, therefore, is focus on four elements in the story that are quirky, odd, strange, surprising, ones that we probably don't attend to. Because each one, I think, says something of great importance about the passion of Jesus. Here's the first one. It's how Mark's account opens. When Jesus was in Bethany reclining a table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman entered carrying an alabaster jar of perfume made from expensive aromatic nard. Breaking the jar, she began to pour the perfume on his head. It's the vignette with which this terrible and wonderful story opens. A woman comes to Jesus with this extremely expensive and extremely precious substance, this perfume. She doesn't give him a little, doesn't pour a little bit on him, doesn't dab it on him, but she breaks open this jar and she pours the whole thing on the Lord. 
so that the aroma of it must have filled the space. Well, as we know, those around her sniffed at this. Well, what a waste. How extravagant, how over the top. Couldn't this perfume have been sold and the money given to the poor? How inappropriate. But Jesus, of course, silences the critics. And he says, in fact, and it's wonderful how this comes true, doesn't it? He says, wherever the good news is proclaimed, what she has done for me will be remembered. Jesus praises her. I always imagine the aroma of that perfume filling not only the room, but wafting, as it were, all throughout this story of Jesus' passion and death. The fact that Mark commences the account with this story forces us to read the story through that lens. What's so important about it? She understands. And her gesture shows that she understands. The story of the Passion is filled with people who don't get it. Caiaphas and Pilate, the disciples themselves, sent up and down the story, people that don't get it. But she, at the beginning of the account, does get it. What Jesus is doing is breaking himself open and giving himself away in love. Carefully, conservatively, prudently, nope, all the way, totally, without reserve. The cross is Jesus opening up of his own heart and body and life, giving himself away extravagantly. So this woman at the beginning of the story does not perform a conservative act, a prudent act, but rather she breaks open the whole jar of perfume, giving herself away in anticipation of a kind of loving anticipation of what Jesus himself will do. It's a second image, one that we rarely attend to, I think. In the Last Supper scene, Jesus identifies himself with these elements of bread and wine. He predicts his passion. He says, somehow in these elements, my gift of self is made present to you. This terribly dramatic night, the night before he dies. Again, how often those words roll off our tongues and roll through our minds. But listen, the night before he dies. This is a man who knows the next day he's going to die a terrible death. What's it like the night before someone dies? Imagine a criminal condemned knowing full well the next day he's going to die. Well, that night is, is full of drama and tragedy and pathos. So what does Jesus do after he institutes the Eucharist? The Gospel of Mark says he sings. He and his disciples sing songs of praise, and then they set out to Gethsemane. The last thing Jesus does before he enters into the passion of Gethsemane, is he sings a song with his disciples. 
It was the custom, of course, of pious Jews on Passover to sing these great songs of praise. They probably also danced as they sang. Do you ever think of Jesus as singing? I would submit that's a very rare image in the minds of Christians, Jesus singing. But here he sings the night before he dies. In fact, as he's preparing to enter into the Passion, that's when he sings. Why is this quirky detail so important? This is what it's about. We Christians know that the fullness of life is not about worldly success. It's not about worldly power. Rather, the joy and success of life consists in the capacity to give oneself away in love. As Jesus now is on the verge of doing just that, he therefore sings in joy and thanksgiving. Notice, please, we do the same thing at every liturgy. We gather around the altar and we say, the night before he died, Jesus took bread and wine. We make, the priest makes present again on the altar, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this terrible moment, the drama of the night before he dies. And then we sing. We sing as he did. Third vignette. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane now. Jesus has prayed that the cup be taken, but then he accepts the Father's will. Judas comes with the soldiers to arrest him. There's the drama of the confrontation. He kisses the Lord. Someone cuts off the ear of the high priest slave. Then the disciples all flee. Then this little quirky detail. There's a young man there wearing only a white garment. As he runs away from the scene, someone grabs at him, but the garment comes off in his hand, and the kid runs off into the woods naked. What gives? Why that odd little detail? The white garment. That's what a baptized person puts on. In the ancient church, you would strip down, you go down in the water, you'd be baptized, and then you'd be clothed in a white garment, a sign of your Christian discipleship, your willingness to stand with Jesus. So, this young man in a certain sense, is all of us in that scene. St. Mark places us, the baptized, those who've been clothed in the white garment of Christ's baptism. We're in that scene. What's going on? Well, danger. They've come for Christ. Fellow baptized, the Christian life is a dangerous life. Countercultural. It'll fly in the face of the powers of the world. Just as they came after Jesus, we can expect them to varying degrees to come after us. What do we do at the moment of truth? Do we stand with the Lord, accepting, yes, even his fate if necessary? Or do we run? The tragedy in some ways of this scene is like so many of us, this kid runs away at the moment of truth. Look, leaving behind in the hand of one of Jesus' enemies the precious 
garment that marks his baptism. How often, friends, do we surrender our baptismal identity as we run away from the demand of the Christian life? What a terrible detail. Wonderful, but terrible. When we're with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the moment of truth, what do we do? Do we stand with him or do we run, leaving our baptismal identity behind? Last detail. Jesus has just died on the cross. Mark says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. He's talking about the curtain that shields the Holy of Holies, the central room in the temple, the most sacred space in the most sacred building, the place where, in the Israelite imagination, God lived. It was so sacred that the high priest himself could only enter once a year, and it was shielded by this curtain so no one could see into it. The moment Jesus dies on the cross, that curtain is ripped from top to bottom giving free access to that room. Free access to the Holy of Holies. Now we see. Christians, what's the holiest thing? Christ crucified. God's love poured out utterly. In that supreme moment of weakness, the power and the holiness of God is revealed What's the best thing, the greatest thing, the holy of holies? It's Jesus on the cross, having given himself utterly away. Let us not be like that man that runs away at the moment of truth, but let us be like Christ crucified. In our gift of self, even yes to that point, people might come to see the holy of holies. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Word on Fire is brought to you in part by Catholic Cemeteries. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.